Welcome to This Week in Lotus. The weekly roundtable discussion of all things social, collaboration, technology and community. Here's your host, Stuart McIntyre. This Week in Lotus, episode 31, for Friday 17th of December 2010. Lotus goes back to school. This show is a proud member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. You can find this and other tech-related podcasts at techpodcast.com. This Week in Lotus is sponsored by TomTom. Check out the brand new TomTom Fire Live 120 with built-in HD traffic, speed cameras, hands-free calling and much more. Details are at thisweekinlotus.com slash TomTom. Well, hello and welcome to This Week in Lotus, episode 31. I'm Stuart McIntyre and once again, Darren Duke and I are back for another roundtable discussion of all things Lotus, social, collaboration, technology and community. So, Darren, how are you this fine Thursday? Uh, it is cold over here. It was like zero American the other day, not zero U- UK, wow. zero American. So, I did not move to Hotlanta for that. This, this, <laughs> this is, is no misrepresentation of marketing. No, not today. It very rarely yeah. snows here. It's usually ice storms. So all the trees freeze. And the Americans yet haven't figured out to bury the power lines underground. So all the power goes out when the frozen trees fall on the power lines. Because oh, so you'll be looking forward to getting to the warmth of Florida come January. Well, yeah. I'm, again, I'm hoping the three weeks or two weeks later is going to make a big difference. Uh, but even down there in, in January, February, it's still kind of chilly for me. I'm getting old. I need to move south. <laughs> Uh, so so let's crack on. It's been an interesting couple of weeks in the Lotus community uh, with plenty of discussions about licensing, outreach to students, young developers and cost of software as well for academic use. Therefore, I thought it'd be good to have a podcast focused on the use of collaboration tools within higher education, discuss what issues are facing institutions in this area and how vendors, including IBM, are helping those universities meet those challenges. So first up, we're delighted to have John Gallagher on the call. John works at City University in London. How are you, John? I'm fine, thanks. Yeah. And uh, it's a bit cold here as well. <laughs> yeah, it's not not warm in, in the UK for sure at the moment. So, um, John, I think you're an application architect at City. What's involved in that role? Basically, it's looking at our enterprise architecture. So the sort of applications we use, uh, how we um, have business processes superimposed on them and how we move data between them. So particularly, particularly focused on student data at the moment. Okay, and how long have you been with City for? I've been with them uh, five years, three, t- uh, although I went to start a, a project to introduce their SOA middleware environment, and they persuaded me to stay. So three years permanent, but five years in total. Excellent. Well, thank you again for taking the time out to join us today. It's great to have you on the podcast. Uh, secondly, we're joined by Andrew Frayling. Hi there, Andrew. Hi there. Hello, we've had you on the podcast before, I know, but do you want to introduce yourself? Um, what do you do these days and also where did you work? Um, I'm Andrew Freilin. Um I used to work for Cardiff University. I was there for, how long was I there for? I was there for 12 years. 
in total. Okay. Most recent position there was web services development manager, um, and I was managing and leading the teams that were doing WebSphere portal, Lotus connections, Lotus forms, process server, business monitor, pretty much all the IBM purple stack. Um, currently self-employed and as you know, I work mostly with Atlassian software these days. Excellent. So it's, it's good to have sort of a, a little bit more of an independent view as well of, of the other vendors and, and how they deal with, with academic environments. So thanks for taking the time out to join us, Andrew. You're welcome. Excellent. So, so let's kick us off with a sort of a, a, a quite a general discussion. Um, I, I'd be interested um, in, in the UK for sure right now, uh, you know, academia and higher education in particular is, is big time in the news. And that's because there's some quite big pressures on higher education. So, John, you know, what pressures are you under as an application architect in um, City University? What what kind of challenges are you up against? Um, well, the obvious um issue that's facing us at the moment is out of the Brown review and the comprehensive spending review is how how our budgeting model is going to change. So rather than being funded uh, from the government, we're going to be funded directly from student uh, fees. So very akin to the American model. That's causing us to look at our own costs, our own business process, trying to streamline them. You know, cost efficiency is going to be the the big thing for next year. Okay, so is that making changes to existing projects, or is that just affecting new projects that might have come up next year and won't now happen? Um, I don't think it'll affect new projects. Um, what it what it'll mean is that we'll have um, we'll have less money to spend externally. Um, external spend will be a big thing. So our we're quite lucky in the fact that over the last couple of years, we've um, tried to focus on building an internal capacity to um, work on these sort of projects and use experts from outside to basically kickstart or provide the expertise that we haven't quite got internally yet. So that's where we'll be struggling to spend that money. We'll have to. It's not that the money is not there. We'll just have to justify that, that little bit more. Okay, and Andrew, obviously you're a little bit more out of the loop now, having left Cardiff, but are similar um, issues coming up at Cardiff that you're aware of? Yeah, I mean, uh, everything's getting squeezed. Um, all software licensing renewals are gone through with a fine-tooth comb um, to see what's necessary and what can get cut. Yeah, I think that's an interesting one that we've had in uh, even last year in our IBM renewal in the fact that um, we, we we went through it. In the end, we didn't pull anything out. But next year, I think we will be looking at what we don't really need to try and reduce that recurrent spend. Are, are the cuts affecting the types of projects that, that you can run with, John? I mean, are, are there particular areas where... Um, you know, you, you've done things in the past, say, you know, as an example, providing email to students or, um, you know, self-registration systems or whatever it might be. Are, are there particular areas that might be under more pressure than others? Are there particular areas that, that you're being pushed into working on because of the budget cuts? Um, no, I, 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 like I say, I, I think there's um, a focus on getting more for your spend. It's not that we don't, we, we're quite lucky. We're actually in a reasonably good position. Um, only about 25% of our income 
came from the government, um, we have a high proportion of overseas and postgraduate students. So therefore, our reliance on undergraduate fees is, is probably less. Um, we have quite a healthy bank balance and we're, we're not running a deficit. But that said, um, with students being asked to pay more, they're going to want a better quality service. They're going to want um, academic excellence. They're going to want they're going to want more for their money. So that's that's putting a lot more on us to, to deliver better quality service. That often might mean us spending more, but spending wisely. So I don't expect less projects. I expect us just having to deliver more and probably within shorter time frames. I think I'd I think I'd echo that. Um, it's not necessarily about cutting projects. It's looking at how you spend more wisely on the projects that that you're implementing, and if if that means a different technology choice to deliver the same result for cheaper, that's where you go. Yeah, cheaper's um, an interesting one because, I mean, obviously we, we take a lot of stuff from IBM and it um, costs us a small fortune every year to keep it. Um, but um, uh, last year we introduced an open source virtual learning environment based on the Moodle stack, which is your typical PHP, MySQL. We use Oracle as our back end, uh, like a lot of universities. But um, that's hasn't actually cost us any less because in order to play in that open source community we've had to invest in um, a development capacity internally in order to take the base Moodle product and uh, sort of change it to meet our own bespoke requirements but that's an option that we've got with that sort of um, software which we never had when we took um, something from one of the big virtual learning providers so we, we've moved from one the the blackboard system this opens up more opportunities to us but it doesn't necessarily say save us money but it probably gives us more va more value for our spend because we're customizing the environment to the way that we work and the way we, that we want our students to work and it's also allowing us to integrate it into other areas so we we're looking to integrate moodle into our connections environment so sort of things like when you have um staff profiles between the two there's a common sort of business card um so it looks like it's the same environment through our portal but we're hiding the complexities of the diver the sort of best of breed applications that we've got hidden behind the scenes so, I don't know, okay, is that so sort, of, sort of thing that you're doing down in Cardiff, Andrew? I think it's similar from what I remember. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very similar. Um, and there was, always a big, there was always a big push to not brand things based on products. So, yeah, we, we, it was similar in that, you know, a student doesn't care that it's connections or blackboard or moodle it's their it's their vle so yeah we did we did similar with trying to um kind of hide the branding and hide what was going on uh under the covers okay. you know, vle virtual learning environment is that right 
Yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. Academic <laughs> accent. Yeah, vir- virtual learning environment, yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because in, in many ways, what, what you've just spoken about, both of you, is, is the ca- same kind of discussions we're facing at almost every customer idea with every, every organization is it's doing more for less, more value, talking about t- total cost of ownership rather than initial purchase costs. So it, it's, it sounds like there's a, there's a lot of parallels there. So, you know, we, we've seen a big change over the last few years, haven't we, between sort of more traditional ways of, of working and this more online social form of, of, of collaboration and knowledge sharing. Andrew, are there any projects that you are working on or, or you're aware of now that are aimed at bringing those kinds of working into the university? Are you seeing a change in the way that students and staff are expected to work? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a slow change. It's a hard slog. Um I keep getting told by IBMers that change is the end goal, not the precondition. Uh, one of the things I'm working on at the moment is community equity. So there's a, there's an open source product uh, originally developed by Sun, so I guess is now Oracle, called CQ, uh, which tracks users' contributions to social and online and collaborative efforts. Um, it's, it's it's really quite neat. You can plug a lot of things into it, including confluence, including connections, uh, any atom feed that you want to point at it to 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 track contribute contributions to to blog posts. Uh, you can do so. I mean, that's what I'm that's what I'm working on at the moment uh, with a lecturer at Cardiff University. That's that's really hot on um, network learning and group collaboration. How about you, John? Are there, are there moves into that area? Um, yeah, I mean, we last couple of years we we focused a lot on um, um, our SOA environment and hiding the complexities of some of our backend systems, uh, basically so that we can get good quality data to present in our front end to our users and we're looking at exploiting portal and connections and quicker from the IBM. Like I say, the the difference there was we did introduce Moodle um, uh, again as essentially to improve our student experience but also as a, a cost cutting because it was again costing a small fortune every year. But it's trying to get that balance because um, the virtual learning environment is very targeted at specific, you know, a student does a module introduction to computing uh, for beginners uh, and they have collaboration tools inside the virtual learning environment which they use very specifically for that module and what and that works quite well they have discussion groups they have blogs all those sort of things in built into that tool where we're lacking and where I think we'll probably be looking to move with um, Based on that, we've done a lot of work connections with our staff, and we've got some very active uh, communities there. Again, it's it's more been in our professional services to look at our admin functions and so. I mean, one is our absence record recording for staff. Very very successful community and collaborative um, group across the universe. We're a split campus. We've got four or five remote sites, um, but with students where we're probably going to be targeting is to improve that communication and collaboration slightly above the the module so a, a course level so you know so it would be your bsc 
computing course at your department level and trying to do um, look at those sorts of things to improve communication between uh, some of the professional and some of the sort of course officers who look after the course, rather than the academics um, at this moment in time, because they basically engage with students at uh, via the virtual learning environment. So it's trying to get that balance. And by some of the things I've said, we shared business cards, common look and feel, using portal to hide the connections quicker, Moodle type thing. It's trying to make it a sort of seamless experience to us students so they don't know that they're in Moodle, they don't know that they're in connections. And I, I think we're two or three years away from that, but that's the general direction we want to go. So, so you mentioned the students there se several times. I, I'm, I'm guessing being students that they're very deep in the Facebook, Twitter, whatever the de jour is this this week. Um, are there any plans from from the universities per se to maybe start looking at integrating the public social tools into this stuff? Um. Yes and no. We already use some of those um, and we, we have Facebook groups and whatever um, and some of our courses, some of our collaboration in um, the absence of rolling out connections and quicker to students, they do make use of um, collaboration tools in the cloud. Um, we we will probably allow some links into things like Facebook. Um, our tagline is University for Business and Professions. So therefore, um, out of our connections, as we expand it, another area for us is sort of expanded it into our um, alumni community. And one of the options we've got is in their final year is we start to build a community of people who will be graduating to start and drip feed them careers information because we're obliged to supply them careers information for three years after they graduate. And then gradually um, then drifted into alumni um, hopefully, so that uh, they'll give us money in the, in the future. Um, <laughs> it is but, American. <laughs> but in that in that case, if the alumni will work with communities that are targeted at some of our professions, and therefore um, using some of the plugins in connections to, to communities like LinkedIn, that I can see us using that as a powerful link rather than sort of the real social um, uh, where are we all going for a drink tonight that Facebook is going. So I could see us using professional networks like LinkedIn um, more as standard out of our particular environment than linking in a Facebook or a, um, a whatever. I can see Twitter working um, in, in various forms, but pa perhaps not Facebook or that real social social networking um, it, is, it is interesting because i've talked to a couple of customers over the last few years that have looked for an alumni kind of application it wasn't for education establishments it was for big five consulting alumni so you know i think this is kind of a a, a bit of a interesting niche that i think connections is, is looking to carve out for itself so i i think that's kind of cool i'm sorry about that andrew i cut you off go ahead yeah sorry uh yeah, I mean, I don't think you can ignore the tools that are out there in the cloud that, that people are using. Um, certainly what we, we did at Cardiff was, was try to educate people to make sensible use of those tools and make sure that everything 
wasn't public. So Cardiff do a lot of work. Uh, they they have kind of like a, a safe online um, kind of program to 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 make sure that 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 people are are using those tools responsibly and are not you know putting them themselves in any danger. Uh, we thought they also did a lot of work. It's called they called it core and chore. Uh, there's an amazing presentation by a colleague of mine, Joe Nichols, um, who completely blew away the IBM Dublin Labs with with this presentation. And it's about bringing those external tools or, or surfacing those external tools in the enterprise. You can't stop people using them. They're there. They're easy to use. There are low barriers to entry. It's a couple of clicks. You're up and running. People are using them because they're not getting those services from the internal IT departments. And in a lot of cases, it doesn't make sense for internal IT departments to invest the resource in providing those services that already exist. Um, so there's, the, we've done, Cardiff have done a lot of work in trying to bring those external applications into the enterprise uh, and and surface that content because that's where people are collaborating and you 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 can't stop it do, do you see um, some of those external services taking on more of a sort of authentication and, and profile role I mean if people have already got profiles on on these tools like Facebook and then they come into the university as undergraduate students do, do you see them being more of a demand to keep those profiles going and use those within university environments? Um, I don't know. Profiles is always a tricky one. I mean, you've experienced this with, you know, God knows how many connections in stores you've got profiles on. Yeah. Um, I think they want to bring that inside. Um, yeah, it's, but, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because I'm not sure it will happen because of the split between the private enterprise and the cloud. And I think this is one of the things where, um, it will be a balancing act. I, like I say, I don't think you can stop people using it. It's like the argument, I mean, but email in the mid-90s where they turned off things like access to MSN in corporates and whatever, and then you had that proliferation of sites where they would act as proxies. So to your network, you didn't know you were dealing with it. And it would be, it would, the same thing would happen. So you, you, you're fighting a losing battle if you, if you tried to do it. But what's um, what's interesting is is basically we're looking at trying to get that separation from using uh, collaboration tools in your social persona and collaboration tools from a professional sense and try and they are they are and I, I know there is a blurring of the edges. But they do fulfil different roles, and it's trying to. It's coming back to what um, Andrew mentioned earlier. It's trying to educate students and staff on what's appropriate in the different personas that they're taking on at that moment in time. Because how you approach it and the type of content you and the type of language you use will be different. Which is why I say we'll probably link more to something like LinkedIn, which is yeah. a professional. Uh, network rather than something into your common Facebook groups. But I think the principles of what you're trying to do 
are, are the same. And I'd also agree with Andrew, one of the challenges we face as an IS department and some of the challenges um, vendors like IBM are facing delivering tools uh, like connections and um, is is getting the ease of use and reducing the barriers to people actually taking part in that. And I think one area where IBM, I don't know if any of you have used um, the stuff that IBM have picked up from Lombardi, the Blue Works Alive, which is their new cloud-based um, uh, business modeling tool. And it's based, it's a connections, whatever like sort of thing. And it's just so easy to use compared to tools like Business Modeler where you have to install, I mean, there is a networked version of that which runs off a web server. But those tools just make it so much more easy to collaborate even internally across an organization, let alone when you're trying to collaborate with people external to the organization. So. And 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 I think what you two kind of have just just echoed is something we talked about. I think it was two weeks ago on the podcast, where you you can't ignore these tools, be it LinkedIn, be it Twitter, be it whatever. And and I think there's a a, a meme in, in in IS departments as general to negate the value of them things when in actual fact we should be looking to integrate as opposed to negate. And, you know, I think as normal, academic institutions like you guys are taking the forefront in that. But look, we're going to integrate these small pieces where it makes sense, but we still have to educate users on the context and the personas of when they're in our network, this is acceptable. When they're not, or when they say something else in our network, then that's unacceptable. I think it is an education thing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So, John, you mentioned email. A little while ago um you know we're hearing a lot at the moment in fact I, I blogged about it this week that you know email is dead emails where knowledge goes to die email you know rest in peace email was the the title of the post that i uh, i retweeted and so on are you, are you seeing that in in your environment are students coming in saying we're not going to use email you know we're going to use some of these more modern ways of communicating or is email whether it's exchange or domino or whatever as useful and important to you as it's always been um I think at the moment it's still important. Um, it's um, uh, you could argue whether that's right or wrong, but at the moment, asynchronous communications via email uh, is 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 still relatively important in the sort of uh, commercial enterprise. Um, although what we are seeing is um, for this sort of asynchronous communications is that we're trying to um, encourage rather than sending um, large documents around we put them in something like connections or quicker and we start a discussion forum around them and you know IBM in connections with version 3 where you can have a discussion group and comments about a document uh, rather than setting up a separate discussion group you know the tools are starting to catch up with some of the things that we would love to have done but I, I can't see email being dead for a few years yet. Uh, and it's a sort of, um, I mean, we're only, we're getting, there are people who are only just starting to really accept using email as a communications <laughs> tool. So therefore, they're not going to be using SMS and, uh, uh, and instant messaging and all those sort of things just yet. So I, I still see it around for a few years. But again, 
um, you can now um, get your email train. You can pull it into discussion groups. It can be um, uh, a component or an attribute of a, a collaboration exchange. So, uh, again, I can see the, where things are going to go is that you're going to have collaboration, which is a hybrid of email, discussion groups, blogs, um, other sorts of messaging. And what you then going to want to do is see a unified picture on all of that sort of, and that's going to be the struggle of some of the tools is is to hide the complexities of the different mechanisms we use. Well, I think you've just described Vulcan, but that's a different story for a different day. <laughs> I, I do have a question around email because I hear from IBMers in in the states all the time that one of their arguments against going head-to-head -head with, with, with Google for further education and giving all the students free email is that the students either A, don't use email, which I think is a fallacy and we've just outed here, but more importantly, they love to say, well, the university provided email is all but dormant. They still use their own Gmail or Yahoo or Hotmail accounts. Can you guys maybe shine some light on, on that? Uh, yeah, I think I can. Uh... That certainly echoes my experiences. Um, a lot of people, you know, most students when they were they would come into Cardiff University, they would ask for their, you know, everyone gets a Cardiff University email address, but they would submit a support ticket to get their Cardiff University email forwarded to their personal <laughs> account, and they they do it. That. that Cardiff University would provide that. They would f set up mail forwarding rules to send Cardiff University emails to students' personal accounts. And I, you know, I don't think email is dead. Um, a lot of students, you know, they they do they do still use it. But yeah, I'd, I'd agree they prefer using their personal accounts. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree that we we have exactly the same problem in the fact that um, they want to use one email client, and if you only rely on the university one, you are not going to get. Um, there is a good chance that they will not um, uh, pick up the emails that you you send. Um, so we we also forward it onto personal ones, although. Saying that, we, we will try and encourage um, our own email system for sort of communications within the university and whatever, because we have all the mail groups set up. And, um, you know, if, if you're reducing the barriers for them to engage, so like you've got their, their own cohort or their own lecturers already pre-populated in mail groups, which then make it easy for them to communicate, you, you're going to sort of um, reduce that. The other thing that we've had sort of empirical evidence to suggest is that when they graduate, using an e uh, a university email address to communicate with potential employers in that first sort of round of trying to find jobs can sometimes be, be useful there rather than, you know, uh, John Dot Gallagher nine hundred and forty five at gmail dot you you know so um, it adds a level of it it, it sets um, whether it's an illusion or a, a degree of professionalism it it can be a benefit in in that aspect um, but I I would agree they they tend to only want to use one email client interesting stuff. Yeah. 
<coughs> and the other thing I wanted just to drill down into is, is obviously we have um, representatives, if you like, of two different universities here. I know you've moved on, Andrew, but, you know, two different universities in the UK. Clearly, you guys have, have spoken before, and I know there's relationships between your two universities. Is is that fairly, um, you know, standard between individual higher education um you know, institutions, do you tend to talk a lot? Is there much competition between, you know, say, IT departments in different universities, or, or do you tend to get together and, and come up with solutions to, to the common problems? Um, I'd say my experience, uh, certainly on the IT side, is that it's it's more collaborative than competitive. Um, there's obviously competition there in terms of recruiting students, uh, but I don't, what I've seen on the IT side is collaboration. Uh, you know, I've worked with um, Sharon uh, at City University to, to get connections problems resolved. We've worked together getting Atlassian products installed and, and implemented. Um, I mean, that that's just my that's my general experience. You know, Cardiff worked closely with Bristol University. There are connections there. Um, the universities seem to have a kind of birds of a feather approach to collaboration. So there are a lot of universities that are using the same technologies and they will work together and help each other on getting those technologies implemented uh, and, and working properly. That, yeah, that's my experience. I would agree with that. We, we have um, a lot of relationships with number of universities where we share ideas, problems, um, whatever. I mean, and it's almost encouraged in the sector with sort of groups like JISC, the um, Joint Information yeah. Systems Community, whatever, who sponsor collaborative projects um, across universities. Uh, USISA, the University IS um, Management Group, they, you know, we have a lot of... Um, common male groups and uh, they haven't moved to collaboration yet interesting enough that's all uh, male, male group driven where we all share each you know someone will do a post you'll see it all come come up and people will share ideas um, I did joke with our new we have a new IBM um, account manager and I did joke with him that I'll probably know where he's been before his boss <laughs> has because we all talk to each other so it's it is it is um different to most other sectors I've ever worked in. I would agree with that. I certainly don't see anything um, <coughs> as sort of generally helpful as, as in the academic sector when I go to other commercial organisations. It's great that that goes on. So something that's been discussed quite a lot recently in the, the Yellowverse in our, our Little Lotus community um, is it, very much how IBM is seen in universities and by staff and, and students and IT departments. So um, I, I'd be interested, when students come in or when students are a part of your university, do you get any sense for how they view your use of IBM technologies versus Microsoft or Google or any of the others? I think they're, in, I don't think they care. I think they're indifferent um, as long as it works. I think they're more focused on the quality of teaching they get, the quality of their academics they deal with. If the technology works and it supports their learning, I'm not sure they care where it comes from. If it doesn't work, then it may get um, bounced up um, the thing. But I'm not actually sure they 
it matters an awful lot to them. Don't about you, I'd, Andrew. I'd, yeah, I mean, I'd I'd agree with that. Uh, they just want stuff to work. Um, I don't think I don't think IBM has a kind of I don't think IBM has a kind of like branding with students. It just they don't care. <laughs> they really <laughs> they, they really don't care. It just it just needs to work. And think, if it if it doesn't work, that's when the phones start ringing <laughs> yeah. and your email gets flooded. So I think it's IS people who have a problem with various um, corporates. I mean, there are IS people who dislike IBM because they're IBM. There are IS people who dislike Microsoft because they're Microsoft. <laughs> there are IS people who feel that Google is the devil in disguise. You know, it's, it, it is. On, <laughs> it is your. I mean, I was following a discussion on a. Um, a Java development group about um I you know about um Eclipse development tools against um IBM's uh Russian application developer and they're saying oh it crashes a couple of times um a day. Well if you use an interactive debuggers, it's gonna crash a couple of times a day. They said it might take two or three minutes to reboot it. Well, if you're a developer, that's a good time to go and have a coffee or take a step back and what <laughs> very few developers I know work eight hours solidly typing in code and if they are i would question the quality of their code so actually having a bit of downtime when you're rebooting your machine is not a bad thing that's about the time you can finish one level of angry birds <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um is departments become fixated with um you know sort of things like that so i I'd, I'd say to corporates like ibm microsoft oracle sun you know whatever it is that um we're more of the problem than our students too. Yeah. So, so I, I guess the outcome of this is, to all intents and purposes, students are pretty much nonchalant to whoever the vendor is, to whatever provided, as long as it does what they want when they want it. Yep. Yeah, unless you're going back to um, they've got um, a particular axe to grind with a particular um, sort of um, a corporate, and it becomes the focus of a wider student um issue so you know so for example i suppose if you go back to the 60s dow chemical in the states making napalm they were barred from whatever things <laughs> and then, so if it's if an it company has that sort of perception or they were sort of like breaking the apartheid things to south africa it can become more of an issue but i you know google could be because they're big brother so if you're using gmail you might get people a bit sort of um bit more of a problem but i'm not really aware of too much in that area at the moment is, 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 that, is that a nuclear weapon alert is, is russia just launched some missiles what is that <laughs> duck and cover where's my white i need my white my white sheet like neil used to use yeah. on the young ones <laughs> yeah so, so if we exclude the, the students for the moment and just focus on, you know, IT departments, uh, leaders in, in universities with their CIOs or that kind of level people, what what could IBM do more to maybe aid awareness of their products within that type of department? Is there anything that IBM could do better? Make licensing easier. Yeah, um, cost is cost is always an issue, even if you do get a good, because um, it's the easiest thing to focus on is the license cost rather than the cost, total cost of ownership. Um, I, 
I think also make some of the products that, you know, we were talking earlier about that, you know, something like Facebook is so easy to use and whatever. Um, and the problem is with enterprise solutions from a company like IBM is that they make them scalable, they make them robust, and therefore some of the features don't come along as quickly as we we really want um you know there are certain things in connections now you know sub communities in connections means that if we wanted to have an alumni community we can then have sub communities by our different disciplines you know so we could have a business school one and then we have finance actuarial science underneath that but you know but even having split profile communities and all sorts of things like that it's if the tools we could get a slightly more improved development cycle time. Um, so it's offsetting that enterprise quality against uh, more features. It's ex exactly the problem RIM have got, right? RIM at one point were by far and out the leaders in the smartphone market, but because they've got so many phones in market and so many users that they can't just change on a whim. Mm. And, and I think IBM kind of suffers from this as well as Facebook, and, and Google take take a look at Wave. One day Wave's there, the next day Wave's not. IBM, you know, dictate the five year support policy on any gold product. And, yeah. and you, I, I think we have to take that into account here. Mm. Yeah, and it's it's good for us because you get dependency. You know, if you're going to add more users, it's a relatively straight thing to do. You know that they spend a lot of time on looking at the performance of these tools. The, the ease of upgrade and all those sort of things but that comes at a cost that you don't get the features dripping through as quickly as you would like and it, it it is a balancing act but in a in a corporate enterprise whether it be university or um uh, a, a bank or an insurance company you, you are on the side of um the stability offered by someone like ibm you never get fired for picking ibm right Oh, I've known people who've got fired. <laughs> <laughs> I've known people who've not been popular because they picked one or another ISP, but that's, that's different, not fired. It's worth mentioning that Andrew chose to leave Cardiff. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah I, didn't get, I didn't get fired. I left of my own accord. Good stuff. So, Andrew, is, is there anything that IBM could do to market better to, to universities, do you think? I'm not sure on the on the corporate side, the corporate IT side. Uh, maybe I'd say that the licensing stuff is just a nightmare. And it's not the cost. It's just that it's too complicated. It's really, really hard to figure out what your bottom line is when you're buying IBM products. It's, that's just that's just too hard um, for the, the kind of the, the student side of things. I really like IBM's academic initiative. That's that's quite cool. Uh, so that's um, lecturers or students being able to use uh, IBM development tools for free, um, so they get experience of 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 using rational application developer or or, or whatever IBM development tools are, are, are included in that initiative. That's that's quite cool. Uh, that's kind of buried, so that could get pushed more by by What's IBM. I'd never heard of that. So, so that gives them the rights to use 
um you know is it all software or just just particular software for their for their use um i don't think it's all software but it's a lot um certainly all of the development tools i think quite a lot of the uh the middleware stack is included in that as well um i, I think that the, the caveat is they need it to you they need to use it for education and learning um so they're not allowed to use it for for any commercial stuff um but yeah it's free and it's kind of buried so they could, they could push that more i just found a link for that so that'll be in the show notes for, for other people to take a look at as well yeah i mean on the um pricing license here i mean he there is um we get reasonably attractive prices pricing is always an issue licensing model can be um because we have um a high, unlike most corporates, um, we have quite high turnover of students and lots of staff coming in front where you want to, I mean, if you look at a student, you really want to be engaging with them in the inquiry application process and you want to be engaging with them in the alumni process, but you don't want to be paying for that privilege. So slightly more flexible licensing models would be, and also having people from IBM who actually understand the complexities and of their own product set would be nice sometimes. It's called TechLine. <laughs> <laughs> and people who have listened to this podcast or read my blog will know I'm, no, I'm absolutely no fan of the IBM licensing scheme. And any licensing scheme that to all intents and purposes can almost trick you into buying or thinking you are legitimate needs to be ripped out and replaced with something simple. Yeah. And I can only feel for the universities where exactly when someone moves from being a student to an alumni, that has significant license implications. Do I want to recycle that license back in? Do I then need to purchase an extranet license for the alumni because now they're no longer a student and, and, and no longer in quote unquote our environment you know it's it's a it's a piece of string and you just pull it and it just keeps rolling out and and it's it's going to be extraordinarily difficult to work out and and chances are one ibm would tell you something different to another ibm so even they don't know yes because there's been some recent there's been some recent stuff with notes and the academic license and there's been some confusion about what was in and what was out um and I know IBM are um, backtracking on some of the things that, uh, I know he's done at university, I think some other people as well about how this sort of thing works. Um, so clarification of what you're buying into um, would be would be good. And I think you know, the, the nature of, of the user base you have makes quite a big impact in terms of both licensing and also some technology, doesn't it? In terms of I've had discussions with people where your user base effectively maybe a third or a quarter of that user base changes every single year. And therefore, that has pretty big implications in terms of your LDAP directories and, and how you license those users of mail systems and so on. So I, I wonder whether you know, that, that's something that, that perhaps IBM and other vendors could, could do better than maybe they do currently. Yeah, I think so. 
So is price a major influence on your technology decisions? Um, you know, we hear quite a lot about um, you know, Microsoft offering free licenses, Google particularly offering Gmail to to universities um, at, at no cost. Is you know, we mentioned earlier on that the total cost of ownership is a big deal and, and therefore migrating from one system to another still has cost for you even if there isn't license cost. So, you know, are, are there any products you use because they're free or are there any products you you don't use because they're just too expensive for your requirements? Email is an interesting one because we, we, we're having that discussion at the moment. We, we use Exchange and have invested in quite a... a, a a good exchange infrastructure um and there's pushes there's moves to push it out to either gmail or one of the other cloud offerings it that it it's not free in the fact that we still need to provide some security some integration some sort of um letting these places know who our students are and control that we've linked all of our systems into our soa backbone so that changes in our student records drive changes in our email and in our um, LDAP and whatever. Whilst that can be done with the cloud, that also comes at cost and whatever. So, and also with mail, once they become alumni, if we keep them, they start getting adverts and all those sorts of things, which they don't quite get as a student. So there are hidden costs to your reputation and sort of, you know, if someone's been used to Gmail without an advert and then become alumni and they start getting bombarded with adverts and all those sort of things how's that going to reflect on the organization i, I don't think it's simple as it's free no I, I'd, I'd agree with that um i mean cost is always a factor it it's always going to be one of your um one of your criteria that 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 you look at when implementing any technology uh I don't always think that cheaper is better. It's about getting value for your dollar. So that comes back to the value discussion again, doesn't it? And and, and therefore, it's no different really for universities as it is for, for any other uh, type of environment. Um, okay, and, and we've clearly got a, a big conference coming up pretty soon in terms of Lotusphere 2011 at the end of January. Is that something that, that you guys will be looking to attend? Unfortunately, I probably won't be attending, but we probably um, will send someone because there's a lot going on at the moment. There's um, Connections 3 is just out. There's some movements on Quicker. There's some Portal 7 is really sort of moving forward. Um, I think it's a good time for us to send someone there. And the benefit of sound like Lowsphere is that you actually get to meet some of the uh, developers and have some sensible conversation with people that you might not ever see th this side of the Atlantic. So, uh, yeah, we'll probably send someone. But unfortunately, send it won't be me. <laughs> send Sharon. Sharon deserved to go. <laughs> God, if she paid, if she paid you to do this, let, let, that's right. Let's all start a send Sharon campaign. <laughs> right, and Andrew, uh, I, I know I've met you at Lotusphere in the past. Um, is that something that, that you'd like you to do this year? Um, I'm not going to be going to Lotusphere this year. Um, you know, I've I've been heavily involved with Lotus and IBM products uh, in the past. Uh, but it's not something that's my focus at the moment. So I won't be going. I hope Cardiff sends some people because I don't think they've 
been for a couple of years. So I hope Cardiff sends some people, but personally, uh, I'm not going to be there. But I hope you all have fun. <laughs> I'm sure we will do. So, so you're very much more focused on Atlassian software, aren't you? Looking forward, it's. I, I've been interested. We we talk about this Lotus community an awful lot. You know, it's in the kind of subline for our podcast. Do you see that same kind of community around Atlassian products? Are there the same kind of gatherings, user groups, um, you know, conferences in that in that space? Pitchings. Yeah, def- yeah, definitely. Um, there there are Atlassian user groups run all over the world. Uh, their kind of Lotusphere equivalent is called Atlassian Summit, um, which they run in kind of like June, July. It's based in um, San Francisco. Um, they also run Atlas Camp, which is a developer conference uh, again in again I think in San Francisco, uh, which they hold every year. There's there's a big community around. Um, Atlassian products, it's, it's, you know, Atlassian are not as big as IBM, but the, the communities, the community is re- reasonably big, uh, and really, really helpful, really helpful. It's good to hear. So that Darren, you know, we'll be at Lotusphere this year. Is there anything you think IBM could do more to get universities and students involved in, in an event like Lotusphere? Well, I know they're having the, the student day right this year, which I'm not sure if this is yeah. the first year they're doing it, um, but I think that's kind of a good first step. My guess is it's probably going to be, what, like a 50-mile radius around Orlando and, uh, and you know, give students a free yellow bag if you come and attend or something like that. I'm not quite sure what the setup is. So I think that's, that's, a, that's a good first step. I, I, you know, I didn't know about the academic program where you could sign up and get everything for free. I think that's also kind of a good step but if no one knows about it you know how how successful is it going to be it's it's one of them difficult things that everybody has education and everybody wants to get into that market as a big vendor because they all believe that you know because these are government funded institutions that the the pockets are deep and that's not necessarily true in the states and it hasn't been true for a lot of a lot of years in the states and i think that's changing in, in in at least Britain, if not the whole of Europe. So, you know, I think the vendors are going to have to look at what they're offering and, and, and start to see and say, okay, wh- where does it make sense to maybe give them a price break to get them hooked on, on, on our crack rock, right? You want to be the dealer because you, you, once, once you get these kids at 18, 19, 20, especially if then they flow into the, um, the alumni programs, you know, they're going to be using your software for, for a lot of years. And, and I think if you can get that ingrained in them, they may not know what it is, but when they come to ask, oh, what is our alumni software running on? And someone says, I don't know, Lotus Connections, for example, then, then ch- you know, there's, there's, there's a bit of an average chance when, when, some, when some other product comes up and they're doing a project in their real life and it's Lotus Connections versus something else, they're at least going to understand what it does. And, and that's the key. That's why I think everyone's been crying for Lotus Live to be given to universities for free. I, I don't think that's a bad idea. I think a lot of people aren't going to use it because of the conversation we just had about email. But I think IBM should should look at maybe Lotus Live education because it's not going to cost them a lot of money because the students don't use it. All they do is forward the email out of it. But maybe the idea of getting the word Lotus or IBM ingrained in these 
brains at a reasonably early age when they're still malleable before they've walked into the university bar is <laughs> is is not is is a good idea because you you can't purchase mindshare. Well, you can, but IBM won't. So in that case, let's try and move the mindshare battle earlier in 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 a person's professional career. And I think that's exactly what Google have done. I think think that's yeah. the key, isn't it? It's taking it from the current state, which you know might be seen as you know as, as young people not caring about IBM. I don't think it's necessarily got a, a negative connotation in the way that maybe some other vendors have, but I don't think it's necessarily got a positive connotation either. And therefore, you need to get it from that not caring state into being aware and then to have a positive viewpoint and and at the moment i'm not sure that's happening so anything like as you say the student day that's going to take place i believe on the monday at loads through this year has to be a good thing even if it's just you know the very first early steps towards something that's bigger than that sorry andrew you're gonna say sorry i was just gonna say yeah i mean that's what that's what i believe the academic initiative is trying to do it's just not very well promoted you know the idea behind academic initiative is get all of these students using all of these products, then when they graduate and go off and they're the industry leaders, they'll want to use the IBM toolset and they'll put the IBM toolset into the organizations that they're working in. It's just not very well promoted at the moment. I mean, looking at the Academic Initiative page, uh, again, the, the link is in the show notes. You know, it talks about software, um, you know, full versions of hundreds of IBM software products, courseware, professionally developed courseware to enable you to enhance your curricula and uh, online courses and materials from the Virtual Innovation Centre. I mean, if that stacks up as it appears to from from that web page, you know, there's no reason why um, lecturers in, in IT and so on within these universities shouldn't be using this as courseware as part of their courses. So getting people using, you know, rational application developer when they're learning Java. So I just wonder whether that's actually happening at the moment, whether this is a diamond that's just, you know, not been mined because nobody knows it's there. Um, some universities use it. Um, we we don't. We've, um, the trouble is it's... Um, it's not particularly well pushed or owned by IBM and the sales team don't get rewarded on selling it. Um, <laughs> other, other vendors do the same thing. Uh, we we have something from SAP, which is similar, um, and they, they provide um, complete ERP systems to various universities to train people up on those sorts of things. Um, I... The trouble is they've got to engage with a whole variety of people up and down the universities. It's not purely something that can be influenced too much by the IS department. It has to have buy-in from your department of computer studies, your academics and whatever. So they need to learn to engage in a slightly different way. And I'm I'm just not sure... um, that apart from a few people I know in IBM, whether as a corporate entity, they're really geared up to do that at the moment. Or well, we've and seen I, no evidence of it. And, and I think that's true. Uh, top to bottom in IBM, it's a sales organization and they're only ever comped, as far as I can tell, unless you're a renewals rep on, on net new revenue. And I think that that sometimes is a detriment to the existing customers or to new customers where you may make zero revenue but the, 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 the forward-looking statement of managing to get 100,000 students using your stuff is probably a pretty good forward-looking statement. 
I think you're right. And, and, and as ever, it comes back to how do you then incentivize people to, to do that work if there's no commission involved in it, which is a, a whole different discussion for another day. So we'll leave that one for now. Um, let, let's rattle through just some news around the Lotus community. Darren, um, Traveller for Android was finally released this week. Yep. And I installed it on my phone pretty much minutes after it went on by in the world. Uh, seamless upgrade. Uh, I upgraded the Traveller server. It pushed the update out to my phone. Uh, blah blah blah. The the odd crash that I used to have in the in the last beta has gone. So they've managed to fix what the only issue I ever saw. Um, I haven't upgraded my Galaxy tablet yet. That's going to happen over the weekend when I get some time. But you know, it's one of them. Lotus Traveller is without a doubt the hidden gem of the entire Lotus portfolio. As everyone says, it just works. And again, that that's certainly an area of the Lotus portfolio that is is really relevant to to higher education institutions. Again, I've I've seen it used several places where students bring in their own iPhone, Android, Nokia device, and then connect it into their their Domino email, uh, and it works great for that for that particular purpose. Um, the, also, a uh, an update to quicker for Domino eight five one. Uh, yeah, it came out today. I was just looking on Partner World before we started the call, and it's already released. So, quicker eight five one. I think I saw for. I think it was for all the platforms actually. Uh, any any platform quicker D runs on it was it was out, which is a bit different of a fix pack which was released a few weeks ago. So, all of the platforms are available today for eight five one. Yeah, you need to be a little bit careful with the difference between eight five zero. Fix pack one, one and eight, five, <laughs> right. one, which are very different beasts. So uh, we'll cover that hopefully in a bit more detail next week. There's also a fix pack due for um, Domino 852 as well, which I think a lot of people will be looking forward to. Yep. Um, lastly, there was a, a very, very interesting um, LTIE community call this week, um, which was the, the first ever listen cast. Darren, I think you were on there. I certainly saw you on the list. Uh, yeah, it was the Fro Rocks at IBM cast. <laughs> <laughs> which which I, I admire Joyce Davis and Mary Beth Raven for doing. I think it was a very interesting first pass at that, although in the end there was only maybe 30 or 40 minutes available for those questions. I think maybe next time it would be good to have the whole uh, webcast devoted to that kind of information gathering and question asking process. So it'll be good if that happens again, maybe in a quarter or so. And, and I think it was like you said. It, it's 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 phenomenal for those guys to put themselves out there. Uh, you know, Ed Ed Brill was 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 there again. You know, trying to deflect some of the the the, the flack that gets thrown at IBM's way. So kudos to Ed for always kind of stepping into the breach. <laughs> um, how he how he does that day in day and I don't know. So congratulations to Ed. I'll I'll buy you a non alcoholic beer at Lotus Fair. Um, it was so it's good you know it, it it was the first time i think that everyone's been able to ask you know why 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 in many i with so many ibmers why aren't they all quote unquote members of a community you go to ibm's page and where where does it say the word community anywhere on the ibm homepage or even the lotus page you know you go to somewhere like vmware and community is right at the top right under the logo um, so, you know, I think a couple of good things are going to come out of this if, if IBM can, can take the reins and, and move, add some links just to web pages. I think it's going to help a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that plays into the last day of Lisfield, uh, in, in that there's, there's now a terrific group of sessions. There's Group Palooza where you can ask the business partners and customers about best practices, followed by ask the developers, um, sorry, ask the product managers first and then ask the developers. So, yeah. 
that that's where you can do it in person and then hopefully we can have these regular calls where you can uh, do it a little bit more sort of online and virtually so a uh, terrific effort by Joyce and the team there it's really appreciated now as normal at the end of our podcast we ask for a tip from each of our um, panelists uh, it could be a, a feature a side to product an event or something that they can just recommend to the listeners so Darren do you want to kick us off this time uh, yeah, sometime last week or a week before, I, I sent out a, a tweet with a photograph in of, of my new baby, which is not mine, so I've got to give it back, sob, sob. But it's a new uh, IBM X-Series 3630 Intel server, and if you are looking to build probably what I can only describe as one of the fastest domino Intel servers on the planet, uh, this puppy is for you because it can hold, get this, 28 two and a half inch drives in a 2U SASE. That's 28 drives in a 2U SASE. So we don't have to go out across a external connector or a SAN or a fiber channel. All of these drives are a six gig uh, SAS drive. So this thing absolutely freaking screams. <laughs> and they're going to have to pull it out of my cold, dead hands to get it back off me. And how big does a fan have to be to cool this beast? It's it's in my office right now, and I will say when I come in my office in the morning, it's, it's got it's got to be a good seventy five degrees in my office. <laughs> I'm actually sat here sweating. Um, but it's I mean it's a phenomenal piece of kit to to fit twenty eight hot swappable drives into a chassis, and to kind of give you an idea, there's twenty four on the front, and there's actually an optional four cage that you buy that fits in the back. So four of the hot swap drives are in the back. Wonderful. Okay, great stuff. We'll, we'll provide a link to that machine in the show notes. John, what's your tip for this time? Um, well, one of the things that is always a benefit when you go to things like um, Lotsphere or Impact is that you meet IBM people that you don't often see. And one that I've met a couple of times is a guy called Billy Newport, who's an IBM engineer, I think, from Toronto or Montreal or something like that. But he runs outside of IBM um, his own website called www.websphereworld with a hyphen in the middle.com. And um, it's a useful um, place to find uh, some independent thoughts or links into IBM. And he obviously features articles from, you know, some of the other sort of distinguished engineers in, in IBM. And I'm always surprised how many, how few people have ever heard of it. So that would be my tip, because information and finding good sources of information is, is what we struggle to do. Absolutely right, and and uh, you know it's something many more people in the OS community are getting stuck into now with products like connections and and same time, um, you're now running on web server. I, th- I think that's a great resource to have. Sorry, Dan. I was sure it's the right URL. Uh... We'll check on that and we'll come back for the end of the podcast. Andrew, what's your tip? Uh, my tip is Rackspace Cloud. Uh, so since leaving Cardiff University and needing to set up my own servers, uh, I've used Rackspace Cloud. It's so, so easy to, to, to get servers provisioned. And they say they're fanatical about support, and they are. The, the, the support from, from Rackspace is just fantastic. Okay, wonderful. That's, that's good stuff. And you know, the cloud kind of consumer, um, you know, interface is is just becoming so, so much better almost month on month in terms of us being able to provision our own servers and so on. I use a company called Rapid Switch in in the UK, do a very similar service to to Rackspace. So there's plenty of alternatives out there. 
My tip for this time is uh, a headset. It's the Nokia BH905i. I've seen Volker Weber and, and um, a couple of other people in the community talking about it. I bought one maybe six weeks ago now. It's a noise-cancelling uh, Bluetooth headset, uh, supports A2DP, so it does stereo from your iPhone or, or whatever MP3 player you have. Um, and it's it's really comfortable, can be used both corded and not, has noise-cancelling. Um, it, it, it works as a headset with your, with your laptop. It, it's just a great um, set of head, headphones, really good battery life, lasts about 10 hours. Uh, and of course, when the battery runs out, you can also plug in uh, the lead as well. So we'll provide a link to to that uh, headset on on Amazon and so on. It's it's roughly sort of in the region of two hundred dollars, so it's not cheap by any means, but a really good unit uh, if you use headphones quite a lot. So that's our tips for this time. Uh, we'll make sure all the links are in the show notes if you're interested in any of those. So. Um, John, thank you so much for taking part in, in the podcast. It's great to have you on here. Um, are, there, are there any ways in which people can get hold of you if they're interested in following up with you afterwards? Um, yeah, I'll um, I'll give you my um, email, which is john.gallagher at city.act.uk. Um, if they've got any questions, or um, just drop me a line, and I'll try and respond. Brilliant, and good luck with all those projects you're running with at the moment, and uh, hope to speak to you soon. Right, thank you. And Andrew, how do people find you? I mostly reside on Twitter, where I'm at Spherical N, which you'll probably need to put in the show notes. <laughs> we'll make sure it's there. <laughs> Thank you so much again for taking part, and good luck with all you're doing with Atlassian and your own business. It's, it's great to hear from you. Okay, cheers. You're welcome. Thanks, Andrew. And Darren, how do people find you? Blog.darrenduke.net for all things Lotus, VMware, and BlackBerry-related, and... On Twitter, Darren Duke, all one word for my 140 character rants. <laughs> Excellent. And it's fabulous to, to talk to you again. And I hope you've all enjoyed this podcast. We're a little bit over the hour this week. We're, we're trying to do so much better. Last week, we crept under the hour, didn't we, Darren? Which is a record for us. <laughs> it was. <laughs> so, Sorry, uh, again... everybody. <laughs> it won't happen again. <laughs> so until next time, this was This Week in Latest. Bye for now. All opinions expressed during this podcast are those of the participants only and do not necessarily represent those of their employer. This Week in Lotus is sponsored by TomTom. Check out the brand new TomTom FireLive 120 with built-in HD traffic, speed cameras, hands-free calling and much more. Details are at thisweekinlotus.com slash TomTom.